This is the Victory Podcast. Every week, we'll share an inspiring message about God's grace and forgiveness for you, wherever you're at in life. Your victory starts now. We'll be focusing on the words from John chapter 3, the account of John the Baptist losing some of his influence, some of his disciples, and how he responded. An argument developed between some of John's disciples and a certain Jew over the matter of ceremonial washing. They came to John and said to him, Rabbi, that man who was with you on the other side of the Jordan, the one you testified about, look, he is baptizing and everyone is going to him. To this, John replied, A person can receive only what is given them from heaven. You yourselves can testify that I said, I am not the Messiah, but am sent ahead of him. The bride belongs to the bridegroom. The friend who attends the bridegroom waits and listens for him and is full of joy when he hears the bridegroom's voice. That joy is mine and it is now complete. He must become greater. I must become less. This is the word of the Lord. Let us pray. Lord God, we thank you for gathering us here around your word. We pray that you would speak to us through your word, that we would leave here stronger Christians than the ones that came And I pray that nothing that I'm doing would get in the way of the work of your spirit. In your name we pray, amen. What do you do when the people you care about no longer seem to need you? I think this can happen especially to parents. My, my, our children, they grew in my wife's body. <laughs> and then there was a time where she fed our children with her own body. And then there was a time where we taught these children how to, how to eat and how to talk and how to walk. And we were there every step of the way. And with every passing year, they don't seem to need us as much anymore. What do you do when the people you care about don't seem to need you? This can happen um, if you're any type of caregiver, a a therapist, or a a doctor, a a teacher. You you care for these these students, these patients, these clients. And as you care for them, all of a sudden there's a time where where they don't seem to need you anymore. My wife's a a second grade teacher. You know, every year she gets a whole new group of students and she, she focuses on them and she teaches them and spends time with them and knows everything about them. But then the year's over and they don't seem to need her anymore. Doctors, you have patients and nurses, you have patients that you care for and you pour yourself into them and you know them and you learn about them, but then they get better and then they don't seem to need you anymore. This happens to employees. I called my dad this morning and asked if I could tell you this story and he encouraged me to tell this story. There was a time where my dad was working for a company for 
eight, ten years, and, and he was driving an hour from, from uh, Kenosha all the way up north side of Milwaukee every day, devoted himself, made, made sacrifices for this company. And then one day in his late 40s, they called him into the office and they said, we don't need you anymore. This happens even to me. Actually, Pastor Bill and I, we kind of joke that usually whatever subject we're preaching on that week, God seems to, to preach the message to us first. And that happened again this, this last week. I, I dropped my daughter off at, at high school and I went to my favorite coffee shop to write the first draft of this message, Stone Creek Coffee Shop right there in Wauwatosa. And I'm, I'm sitting there uh, writing the, the first draft and it felt so good. I wrote about, you know, what do you do when the people you care about no longer seem to need you? I closed my computer, took a break, opened it up, checked my email, and, and every once in a while, I, I write a personal blog, and I, some people subscribe to the blog, and then every once in a while, I'll get a report that some people have unsubscribed. You know, they're people that, that I care about, and people that, I, that at one time, I, I think I had some influence, and then for whatever reason, maybe I said something that offended them or, or something else or whatever it is, or maybe they just don't want anything more clogging up their email. Uh, they say, you know, thank you, but we no longer need you anymore. It's happening in your relationships. Maybe you're in high school, you're dating somebody, or you're, you're hanging out with a certain group of friends, and then they tell you, you know, in one way or another, you feel like you're getting ghosted, or they're not talking to you, and, and you hear that, that these people that you thought were close to you, they, they no longer need you anymore. Well, we're concluding this sermon series today called Influencers, and, and it's a kind of a, a buzzword today, Influencers, that that there's a lot of influencers in our world, you know, YouTube influencers and influencers that have podcasts and, and, and this whole digital world, they're, they're influencing people in all sorts of different ways. But, but really what we talked about throughout this sermon series is we're all influencers. We all have a sphere of influence. We all have people that we're called to make an impact with uh, uh, people in our families, in our communities, in our classes, whatever it is, we are called to influence the people around us. But the reality is, we can't help everybody. We can't influence everybody. And there's going to be some people that we're influencing, some people that are in our lives, that they will, there will be a time where they will tell us that they no longer need us anymore. So here's the question I want to answer in today's sermon. What do you do when you don't have the influence you once had? And answer that question, we go back to John chapter 3. John uh, was one of Jesus' closest followers, one of his inner circle of disciples, and so God called him to write a biography about Jesus. And in John's biography about Jesus, he also wrote pretty extensively about another guy named John, John the Baptist. And John the Baptist was one of the most influential prophets who ever lived. In fact, hundreds of years before he was born, before he did anything, the prophets were anticipating this man, John the Baptist. Isaiah and Malachi and other prophets wrote about John the Baptist, that he was going to prepare the way for the Messiah, that he was going to have this influential ministry, and they were right. He, he was an incredible prophet. 
He had incredible influence. In, in fact, he had one of the best endorsements that you could ever have as a leader. Jesus himself said this about John the Baptist. He said, I tell you, among those born of women, there is no one greater than John. If you're a writer, you'd want that kind of endorsement on the inside of the book cover, right? From Jesus. No one's greater than you, than John. And it was incredible. What's, what's pretty surprising about that, though, it's, it's pretty surprising that he was have, able to have such a large influence because, to be honest, John was kind of weird. He was unorthodox. He, he was strange. He dressed kind of funny, and all the writers talked about that. He wore um, clothes that were made of camel's hair. That's kind of strange, pretty itchy, right? He also had a strange diet. Uh, he was known for eating locusts and, and wild honey, eating bugs, basically. That was his diet. So he's a strange guy, and he was also a strange kind of leader. If you were going to be a rabbi or a, an influencer in that first century in, in ancient Jewish culture, you'd probably go to a local synagogue. You'd work your way up through the ranks. You would open up um, the scroll at the synagogue and you would teach your disciples, but not John. John went out to a, the historic site. He wanted to be more of a, a visual teacher. He went to the historic site of the Jordan River. I don't know how much you know about the Jordan River, but this was a really important site for the Jewish people. This was the place where Joshua parted the waters. You might be familiar with the time that Moses parted the waters of the Red Sea and the people passed through on dry land. Well, his successor, Joshua, did the same thing. He parted the waters and the people passed through the waters, this is about 1,400 years before Jesus, and entered into the promised land. And they were supposed to be the promised people who were going to live in the promised land. The problem was, is they failed. They didn't live like God's promised people in the promised land. They, they messed it all up. And so John the Baptist, what, what he was doing was, in a way, he was taking them back to that historical site and having them pass through the waters was something that he pretty much invented, was led to start baptism. And he said, let's pass through these waters again and let's start all over. So he took this ancient uh, Jewish washing, ceremonial washing rite and, and turned it into this do-over, this time to start over, and it worked. People were coming out to him, the Bible says, from all over, all over the community, all over the Judean area. From, from far away, they were coming out, and they were confessing their sins, and they were getting baptized. John had such a large reach that even non-Christian historians that were contemporaries, like Josephus, who lived about that same time, John made such a, um, a splash in history that even secular historians were writing about John. John had such a, a, a wide influence and he, and he reached so many people that when the early Christians started doing missionary work and they got to far off places like Ephesus found in modern day Turkey, they found John's disciples way out over there. So John had this large reach, these large crowds were coming out until one day they weren't. Until one day the numbers started going down. Until one day um, 
there wasn't many people gathering to be baptized at the Jordan River. And that's where our text picks up. It says in verse 25, an argument developed between some of John's disciples and a certain Jew over the matter of ceremonial washing. They came to John and said to him, Rabbi, John, John, they would call him their rabbi. Rabbi, that man who was with you on the other side of the Jordan, the one you testified about, look, he is baptizing and everyone is going to him. So our numbers are going down because everybody's going uh, away from us to that other man on the other side of the Jordan River. Now, if this was modern day times, I want you to kind of picture a boardroom meeting and there's a boardroom meeting and John is meeting with his board and they're bringing the numbers into him. They're, they're going to show him a graph. This is what our numbers look like, John. Our numbers are going down. We're decrease, decreasing. Our, our finances are going down. Our su- support's going down. And that guy over there, we don't even want to bring him up. We all know who it is. Um, his numbers are going up. People are leaving us and they're going over to him. And there's, it's, it's directly affecting us. And you were the guy who endorsed this guy. And now look at everybody's leaving us and going to him. And as a way of saying, John, you got to do something about this. And we can maybe feel the tension that they felt. Um, if, you've ever, if you've ever been in that situation where you started to lose influence with your children, with your clients, with your patients, with your students, with your friends, with your significant other. If you ever lost influence and people started to leave you because they were done with you, they no longer needed you and went somewhere else and maybe had those feelings of jealousy, those feelings of feeling useless, those feelings of emptiness, those feelings of worthlessness, maybe despair, maybe jealousy and envy that somebody else is successful and it's a direct result of you not being successful. All those feelings that they were going through, that's what John's disciples were feeling. But John didn't feel that way. And why not? Well, he responded with two things. He, he understood two things, two L words. Limits and labels. First, he understood limits. He said this, a person can receive only what is given them from heaven. John understood his limits. A person can only receive what is given them from heaven. See, John looked at his ministry and he looked at this incredible influence that he once had. These large crowds that came out to him and all these people he was able to help and all these people, he, I mean, he saw people's lives change. He saw soldiers um, being, t- taking it easy on their prisoners because they were baptized. He saw tax collectors that were no longer overcharging. He saw um, people who had two tunics giving one to the one who had none. And he saw these real life change and he realized that was all a gift of God. All the ways that I have been successful, John said, that was a gift of God. I didn't come up with baptism. I didn't, I didn't have these gifts. I didn't make myself a great preacher. I didn't wow all these people. God gave me the opportunity to influence them for a time. In a way, he sounds very similar to what Job said. Uh, When Job lost his wealth and his family and his health, 
This is how Job responded in the Old Testament. Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked will I will depart. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. May the name of the Lord be praised. John understood his limits. He couldn't reach everybody. He couldn't save everybody. He couldn't always be there for everybody. There was going to be his time in the sun and he was going to have a limited amount of time with some people, a limited amount of reach, a limited amount of success, and then they were going to move on and he understood those limits and that's what God wants us to understand as well. And I think that helps us to begin to answer our opening question, what do you do when you don't seem to have the influence that you once had? Number one, accept your limits. God gave you those children. They're gods. God gave you that job. God gave you that opportunity. God gave you those gifts. God gave you that time in the sun. And, and he allowed you to serve him in that limited way, but it's limited. You're, you're not going to be able to save everybody. You're not going to be able to change everybody. You're not going to be able to be there for everybody for all time. You have your limits. You can only receive what God gives you. You can only have what God allows you to have. We have our limits. And so we have to accept those limits. But that was not the only thing that John was able to do. Not only did he accept the limits, he also knew how to properly label himself. He understood his own label, how he identified himself. That's what John said in verse 28. You yourselves can testify that I said, I am not the Messiah or the Christ, but I'm sent ahead of him. He, that's Jesus, must become greater I must become less. See, John had such a successful ministry that, and, and so many people came out to him that people were asking him, are you the Messiah? And he's reminding them here. He says, I've told you over and over again, I am not the Messiah. I'm not the Christ. I'm not the Savior. I'm not unlimited. I'm not the rescuer of the world. I'm not the, the center of attention. I'm not the one who's going to be able to rescue you and save you. I am not the Christ. I was sent ahead of him. In other words, you could paraphrase that. I'm not Jesus, but I work for him. In fact, when John heard that, that Jesus was increasing, when he saw that graph, right? That graph that... that that I'm decreasing because Jesus is increasing? He says, that's the point. Exactly. That's why I'm here. I'm here to make much of Jesus. I'm here to talk about Jesus. He's the only one that can really rescue somebody. He's the only one that can actually give people peace and joy. That's how I, that, that's, that's my job. That's what my life is all about, that he would be increased. And eventually people will forget me. And that's okay. That's okay. And so that helps us answer our opening question completely. What do you do when you don't have the influence you once had? Well, you can accept your limits, but number two, accept your label. There is only one Savior. There's only one center of history. There's only one rescuer. There's only one Jesus, and you're not him. 
You are his, you are been rescued by him. You are a child of God because of Jesus. Uh, you're loved. Uh, you're, you're, you're one of God's children. You're forgiven. You have, a, you have an eternal hope, but you're not the Messiah. But you can say with John, but you work for him. You, you, you can say, yeah, we are not the Christ, but we work for him. So these children, these clients, these patients, these, this business, this income, this life, it's a gift of God. It, it, it's a gift from Christ. Um, but it's not all mine, and I have a limited ability that I can use all this stuff, but I do it all to God's glory. And if God chooses to take some of this away that he's given me, he's going to give me something else to do. Yeah, maybe right now I, I'm not able to, to serve him like I used to with those children, those clients, or that business, or, or in that capacity I did before, in that limited way before. And now I'm moving on to something else. But the one who gave me good work to do in the past, he's going to give me good work to do in the future because it never was about me and making a name for myself. It's about Jesus. He must become greater. I must become less. John the Baptist had a really beautiful way of understanding his role in God's story. And he picks up on an illustration that was used by the prophets, by the biblical authors throughout the Bible. Throughout the Bible, um, the biblical authors compared the story of history, all of history, to a love story. That all of history is a love story where, where God is the ultimate bridegroom and the church, God's people, are the bride. And in the beginning, they were separated because the bridegroom, the church, you and I, were unfaithful to God. But the whole point of history is to bring the bridegroom, Jesus, back with the bride, the church, that they would be one again. That's how the whole Bible talks about the story of history. That's what we're all longing for. In fact, the Bible ends and it says, at the very end, there'll be the wedding supper of the Lamb, where Jesus, the ultimate bridegroom, meets again with his bride, the church. And so John understands that he's got a role to play in that beautiful love story. And this is how he describes it. Verse 29. The bride belongs to the bridegroom. Jesus belongs to his church. The friend who attends the bridegroom waits and listens for him and is full of joy when he hears the bridegroom's voice. That joy is mine and it is now complete. Do you understand what John's saying here? Jesus belongs to the church and the church and God's people belong to Jesus. They don't belong to me, John says. It's not about me. It's not about me getting followers. No, it's about Jesus, the bridegroom, and the church, the bride, getting together. And I'm the best man. That's what John the Baptist says. I'm, I'm the friend of the bridegroom. I'm, I'm, I'm a friend of the wedding party. And it's my job to introduce the bride to the bridegroom. I'm trying to set them up, John the Baptist is saying. That's my job. And when I see them come together, when I see people even leaving my ministry to go be with Jesus, that was the whole point. It was to bring the bridegroom and the bride back together. And that, that makes me filled with joy. Makes me think of 
our own wedding and the best man speech at my wedding. It was probably the best, best man speech I've ever heard. Unfortunately, it was at my expense, the whole wedding speech. My friend Luke Peckerel, the best man, he told some great stories about how he dated my wife first and how he was the one who kind of set us up and how when we came back, we were working together in the Dominican Republic and, and I really wanted to propose, but I was short on cash. And so I said, Luke, I want to get married, but I need some money. So can you help me with this, um, getting this ring so I could ask Emily to marry me? And, you know, he told all these embarrassing stories and it was hilarious at my expense. But then finally, we all rejoiced together, and he re- led us to rejoice together that Emily and I, we were finally together. It, we, we, we finally made it. We were getting married, and his joy was complete. And that's what our life's all about. Here's some practical application. See yourself as the friend of Jesus, the friend of the bridegroom. And tell yourself, you know what? If if people talk to me long enough, I'm eventually going to tell them that all of their biggest problems are answered in Jesus. And and my job, maybe as a when I think about my job as a parent, my, my job as a parent is not just to keep our kids in their home, in the home as long as possible. They eventually have to move out. But my job is to introduce my kids to the bridegroom, to Jesus. And then even at work, at a secular job, I'm going to work at my job with all of my might because I'm working for the Lord. And if you would talk to me long enough, I'll eventually tell you why I work so hard because I'm working for the Lord. I want to introduce you to the bridegroom. And and that's what all of us can do, uh, that we would make much of Jesus. Whatever it is in our life, that is our role. We are not the Christ. It's not about us making a name for ourselves. We're not the center. We're not what it's all about. It's not about us. It's about Jesus. He must increase and we will decrease. And so it is hard. It's hard when the kids grow up. It's hard when they say at, the, at your job, they don't, we don't need you anymore. It's hard when friends move away and they don't call back. It's, it's hard when, when we lose touch with people. It's hard to say goodbye. It's, it's hard when we don't seem to have the influence that we once had. This is all so hard. But we can follow John the Baptist's example to accept our limits, that we're here for a limited time, that God has given us a limited amount of influence, And that's such a wonderful gift. But most of all, we want to accept our label. We are not the Christ. We are forgiven by Christ. We're saved by Christ. We're rescued by Christ. We're loved by Christ. But we are not the Christ. But we work for him. And if you talk to me long enough, I'll tell you about him. Amen. Let's pray. Lord God, we, we thank you for this label that you've given us, that we are forgiven, loved children of God. It gives us identity and a purpose. We are not the Christ. We've been saved by Christ, but we do work for him. And so, Lord God, open up our eyes to see ways that we can make you increase in the lives of other people, even as we decrease. In your name we pray, amen. 
Thanks for listening to the Victory Podcast, brought to you by Victory of the Lamb in Franklin, Wisconsin. For video sermon archives, more information about us, and to let us know how we can meet you where you're at, go to victoryofthelamb.com.